everyone and welcome to the Feminist Lens podcast series brought to you by Women for Wanawake. So last week Nina and I met with Phil Kerry who's the CEO at the New Youth Horizon Centre and Murphy Hopkins Hubbard who's the Enterprise Development Manager at Homeless Link. So during this episode we discussed the homelessness crisis in the UK, the amazing work that Phil and Murphy's organisations are doing to respond to this issue and also look at the future and what the solutions are to ending homelessness. There may be some parts of the audio that's not clear, as I'm currently in Nairobi and experienced some bad network during that day. So we hope you find the episode really interesting and educational. We certainly did. Thank you. Bye. So, uh, Nina, do you want to kick off with the first question? Okay. Um, thanks, Paris. Uh, and thank you, Murphy and Phil, for joining us today. Um, we know this is very, very hard times especially for everyone but it is especially hard for someone who is homeless right now um so our first question to you is what are the main causes of homelessness in the uk and specifically london yeah should i should i kick off with that one from the perspective yeah um so i mean the causes of homelessness as we know are are all very different there's no one experience that's the same um, but for London specifically, the cost of living is unsuitably high, um, particularly compared to local housing allowance. There's also a huge range of you know, other reasons. Short-hold tenancies are very common in London, which you know, aren't effective. It can mean sort of quick evictions, obviously pre-COVID policy. Um, there's also lots of barriers and difficulty accessing universal credit. Those experiencing multiple disadvantage, um, particularly trauma, poor mental health, other factors that contribute to hardship, sustaining tenancies, employment, and or relationships. One area particularly that's been brought about by um, COVID and the effects of lockdown is family breakdown, particularly across our young homeless population. We're also really aware of those um, hidden homeless groups, those who are sofa surfing, uh, many of whom are experiencing domestic violence, often refugees and those in temporary accommodation. Yeah, and just to, Murphy, if I just agree with what you've said, so, for, for, we support young people who are experiencing homelessness and agree with Murphy that the reasons are many why young people become homeless in the first place but one of the most common ones is family breakdown and if you look at what's been happening through lockdown quite early on we were getting calls from young people saying I'm going to be kicked out so once this is over um, I need to leave the family home because I think we've all experienced when you when you live and work and eat and breathe and everything in your own often small flat or whatever in London then it's put pressure on all kinds of relationships no matter who you live with and that's been true for families as well so that's happened and then obviously with lockdown came the closure of businesses particularly the service economy and young people are much more likely to be in a job that has been furloughed or that has been worst hit by the effects of lockdown so we've seen high levels of youth unemployment so young people are three times as likely to have lost their jobs as their adult wow. peers so that has meant that some of the things Murphy was talking about in terms of the, the already expensive nature of London and the precariousness of renting here has been exacerbated by the kind of financial hardships that young people have faced by losing work so it's been, it's been a it's a perfect melting pot and where whereas young people typically would get by by sofa surfing by these sorts of calling in favours and arrangements a lot all those things are now illegal so mm. in tier two tier three lockdown in london you can't sofa surf in someone else's house you're not allowed in someone else's house so mm. and um, Mur- that has pushed more young 
sorry to interrupt Phil, but it was also squatting was um, legal at one point. I know it was um, a few years ago now, but that also allowed people to find spaces that weren't being lived in temporarily to home themselves. And so guys, what, what got you into this space, into working um, in the homelessness space? I think it'll be really good for our listeners to kind of get a background um, from you about, you know, your, what your organisation does and, you know, what got you into this, into this field. Very important field. Like you went first last time, Murphy, so I'll go for this one. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Tag team. I, yeah, for, for me, so New Horizon Youth Centre is a day centre for young people experiencing homelessness and a set of outreach services as well. I, I've spent all my career working with young people, first as a teacher, secondly as a teacher overseas. So I've worked in Eritrea through VSA for a couple of years and then more recently, last 15 years, I've worked with young people in London, sort of youth, doing youth work effectively. And yeah, young people were always saying they're worried about housing here, that you know, why can't you grow up in London and expect to have a family and um, buy your own house or be able to live where you want to live so I've always been interested in the kind of housing side of things because that's what young people and I guess like for a lot of us when you move around London you see homelessness is a regular part of your um, experience commuting moving around the city what you don't often see is uh, young people and that doesn't mean that youth homelessness isn't there it's just that we know that young people experience homelessness in very different ways including when they rough sleep they tend to be more invisible to the public because they don't like um, the stigma uh, of being homeless and they don't feel safe um, sleeping in shop doorways. So th that was me. I don't know, Murphy, how much yeah, that rings true with you. Um, similar in a way that I've always, it's always been something I've been interested in and I've noticed. Um, through my education, I set up different community projects, um, university, that are moving out and helping out um, model sort of where students would give away their crockery and kitchen use to someone in a hostel who was looking to move into temporary accommodation as a sort of starter pack if you like um and then i got into fundraising and recruitment and um homelessness was always the area that that i was into and now being at homeless link um so we're the national membership charity for homelessness supporting frontline organizations working to end homelessness um, so we do all sorts from research into policy and best practice. Um, we unite a collective voice from the sector to influence change. We also started managing lots of grant funding um, for sector organisations. My day job is, is focused around running our enterprise development programme, so supporting um, homelessness focused organisations to develop trading models um, to provide employability and training routes for their beneficiaries and also to diversify income. As we know, the, the world of grants is, is not too reliable um, and often face a, a cliff edge on that. Um, so that's, that's Homeless Link. We do huge amounts of other things as well. The, the amount that goes on there is probably too long to list. Um, yeah, lots of events and training and workshops for frontline workers as well. Thank you so much for that. Um, I mean, for the last couple of years, I've seen you know a lot of more homeless people on the streets um and i'm just wondering i know we've mentioned a bit about covid 19 and, and the impacts it's had but do you both have you both seen homelessness has risen particularly more since covid covid 19 or has it always been this way i mean i can talk from my experience but um how much has it increased or has it always been this way 
Yeah, I think um, if I start with this one, Phil, perhaps, and you can um, chime in, I'm sure you've got much more knowledge than me on this. Um, I think it really varies. It's had a massive impact on the homelessness sector. I think more and more so it's becoming a public health issue, um, which has meant people are more aware of it and understanding causes of it. There's also a huge amount of people that haven't previously engaged with homeless um, services who are now accessing food banks and things. So the resources out there are spreading across a completely new demographic. And you know, yeah. like we said, the hidden homeless aren't able to access it. It's completely changed the environment which things have operated on, which could be a brilliant opportunity to engage and do things differently, or it could be catastrophic. And at the moment it's going both ways, I would say, um, as vague as that sounds. Phil, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's often quite hard hard to quantify, isn't it? And it mm. and it depends. Homelessness takes many different forms. I saw an email from London Councils this morning. Darren Rodwell, who's their housing lead on their committee, he said, I think he said, ninety thousand children will be living in temporary accommodation. This um, so that you know it might be single room, totally inappropriate accommodation through this winter and through the Christmas period. So while some people may not define that as homelessness, it's totally inappropriate housing um, for a, a, like a whole numbers of families. With, um, I mean, the homelessness is certainly a lot more than rough sleeping, but where you, where you tend to get slightly more accurate statistics on this is in around rough sleeping. So in London, we have what's called the chain database, the combined homelessness and information network is what it stands for. And that gives a fairly accurate fairly sort of world um world beating system in terms of outreach and support for people who do find themselves on the streets now if you look at that then um rough sleeping numbers have gone up um in the previous year without a doubt um what's been interesting is the young people's interesting and shocking is that the young people's numbers have certainly gone up so they're up 50 percent on what they were the previous year and sort of typically young people make up about eight percent of all rough sleepers in london since the start of lockdown that's gone up to 11 percent. so it, there has been a spike in it and it looks like that spike is um becoming a new pattern and that's because of some of the things i've just said in terms of more likely to have um you know lost work family breakdown and the things that would have been there, the sort of basic things that young people would have done to get by, like sofa surfing, staying with mates, informal arrangements, that kind of thing, just aren't there anymore or are much harder to access. So it it, it doesn't, it, anyone um, in, in the public who reads the newspapers, it won't be hard to make the leap between all the things that are happening in the world right now and the fact that it's going to be putting um, people's livelihoods much more at risk. Mm. Just, just to add on to, um, to that as well, I think there's a big piece around individuals with no recourse to public funds as well. Mm. So the Everyone In campaigns, um, you know, when that support stops, the grants out there, people into more permanent, don't include those groups. Um, so charities are going to have to you know, dip into their reserves for those, which puts them in a fragile position. Um, or the funding isn't, isn't there. So you know, what do we do with these these really vulnerable groups. Mm. I think Murphy, le leading on from what you just said um, about no recourse to public funds, um, we know that as we come towards the end of this transition period, so Brexit obviously we, is happening um, and we officially 
our laws will no longer be entwined with the EU um, beyond the 31st of December. And the government has said, I'm sure you've seen it, I'm sure um, I'd love to hear about what you're doing about this, um, but the government have said that they intend to introduce a very hostile policy which would allow local authorities and the Home Office to deport um, anyone who is rough sleeping, who is not a British national, so who is a foreign national. Um, and of course, there is this opens up a whole can of worms. This is this is more than just a hostile environment. This is basically criminalizing homelessness on the basis that you are a immigrant um, or don't have a British passport, which of course is very, very, very contentious um, in terms of human rights, um, in terms of the rule of law, and in terms of their rights in their own country, because obviously a person will have be able to invoke human rights within from their country. So it's, um, it is very, very worrying. I was wondering if you knew anything about that and because um, the, the question was originally what support does the government provide to organizations such as yours to tackle homelessness um, so I would like to ask that too but I kind of wanted to focus on what um, if anything to your groups your charities what how are you reacting to this um, and Murphy as you said um, no recourse to public funds again that's more money um, money already being so tight uh, and the government not being very uh, generous at all um, yeah so sorry that was quite a long-winded question <laughs> I hope you can <laughs> find an answer to that Murphy you yeah should I start with that one um, so, yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's not, it's not the area that I'm um, too strong on. I don't tend to work on the policy side. Uh, of course, any work to criminalise homelessness is not okay and shouldn't be, shouldn't be done. Yeah. Homeless Link work to sort of work with our members to better understand their needs and to pass them on to government to aim to influence change. Um, so there's lots of work going on um, with our policy teams to try and, you know, create and call for change, um, as well as support our members to um, change funding plans and create enough funding for the sector. We've just had the um, funding review announcing um, 151 million across the homelessness sector, um, which is a good start, but this focuses on rough sleeping, which is a part of the issue, but not the issue as a whole. Um, so there's lots more that could be done. Yeah, and pro probably like you, Murphy, I'm, I'm I wouldn't class myself as being an expert on the subject. I'm certainly not in law or human rights. Mm. What I do know is that at the centre we have, um, so we tend to have about a thousand people coming through the door every year. About 50%, 50-60% of them are from London originally, 10% from the rest of the uh, UK, and then 30% of them come from um, all over the world effectively, so Europe and um, I think we had 67 different countries of origin. Um, coming through the centre door so it's a bit of a, a melting pot of um, community of young people and many of those young people also have no recourse to public fund. We are entirely voluntary funded so we get no um, statutory state money um, contract so we can do what we want with who we want and we're there to support anyone who finds himself homeless in London including those with no recourse to public fund. Um, the, we, we think we can support everyone. The journeys out of homelessness and the support needed for people um, that you've been describing there, Nina, is often more difficult, but it is possible. Um, but yeah, it does require 
um, often quite collaborative um, partnership working um, and that's why I think the sector has been quite good at pulling together around this issue and I've seen uh, Murphy's chief executive Rick and others um, writing letters to the government saying that they need to change their position on this and do more. Thank you so much. Thank you for that. So this goes on yeah, nicely to the second question. That's not the second question. The <laughs> next question is um, what should the government be doing more? You know, how, what should their responses be? What solutions have you been providing them to, to get involved in and, and end homelessness? Well, I mean, Murphy, you talked about this everyone in thing. So it was, it, it was an amazing moment where Louise Casey, who was the sort of leading the government's rough sleeping task force at the start of this pandemic, wrote to um, you know the sector and all the local authorities and said, we need to get everyone in. So everyone off the streets. We don't know what this virus is going to do, but everyone needs to come in off the streets. And everyone got accommodated in hotels. And it was an amazing uh, moment to... You know, the government has got a aspiration to end rough sleeping by 2025 or 2027 or something. And everyone just thought oh, it was just ridiculous. It's never going to happen. And for a moment, it was just for a moment, um, it looked like we had done it. And I've been thinking about that a lot recently. Do, do you know this? Um, I'm, I'm sure this is a thing. And I read it in a book. Is it? I can't remember if it's in Free Economics or one of those type books. But I'm sure there's a thing in China where, you know, in the UK, when you get ill, you pay your doctor, don't you? Um, to make you better and I'm sure the opposite is true in China which is you pay your doctor and at the point where you get ill you then stop paying them until they make you better right so you can see how it works and and I kind of was thinking of that as an analogy for this and how the everyone thing would worked and wouldn't it be brilliant if every time someone became homeless they got put in a really expensive hotel which the government had to pay for until they found them somewhere suitable to live I love that um, because yeah. that would um, that would slightly force, them. yeah force the issue and to a degree I think we had that with everyone in um, but unfortunately of course what we all know is that homelessness is not a static proposition and you don't end it one day without systemic change just expect it to go away because mm. because all the problems were there in the background all the things we've been talking mm. about everyone was in but then more people ended up on the streets every day and more and more and they weren't they weren't then offering them the chance to go into hotels so the problem never really went away mm. um unfortunately because we never addressed the underlying issues you mentioned how at one point you thought um there wasn't going to be any rough sleeping can you mention what point in history that was or well as in i can't remember the date but Murphy might know it better than me, but sort of in March, wasn't it? That it's like all the rough sleepers were brought into the hotels. And so there was, I mean, there was always still people on the streets because not everyone wanted to go into the hotels and people refused to. But pretty much there were, you know, thousands upon thousands across the country that were brought in and being accommodated. So it was like for this magic moment, it's like, oh, we've done it. Um, oh. But it didn't, uh, of course, it didn't last. Do you see the global pandemic as... Um, obviously for all of its faults, in a way shining light on the inequality and also maybe potentially being um, not a positive, obviously, for homeless policy and legislation. But is it, was, did it almost help in a way you said, like obviously that was the first time that all rough sleepers were actually home for the first time because there was a global pandemic, because the government finally was like, oh, this might affect us. Oh, maybe we should help them. <laughs> so. I think I think it gave the opportunity for that to happen and I think a lot of people are thinking about homelessness more than they would have previously 
um, particularly, you know, we've had people that in multiple sectors now whose employment is very much at risk. Um, you know, they've made this eviction ban, which is brilliant. But people, it, it feels a lot more like an option for the everyday person, which has been the case the whole time. So I think the mm. um, stigma around homelessness could, could be affected in a positive way. Um, but unfortunately, there's, you know, we need long term solutions around homelessness prevention. Um, things, you know, focusing on the root causes of supporting people so that everyone in it, there was this really great moment. Um, people, you know, rough sleeper, entrenched rough sleepers particularly had engaged with services that hadn't previously. Um, but there's just so much more work to be done. I think projects like the Housing First project, which Homeless Link is really heavily involved in which supports people to access a safe place to live as a first step rather than working with them until they're deemed housing ready, um, which is that conditional accommodation. Um, so that those sorts of projects work, work really well. Um, but we need to invest in them, you know, there needs to be more money going into things like that. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it's the, the profile of the issues undoubtedly been raised through the spring and the summer months I mean it's winter now it's often a an issue that's kind of brought to the forefront in the winter but I, I don't I, whilst I was confident early on I'm now not confident that there will be change because I still don't think as a society we place the right value on it um so housing first you know as the example Murphy used there is, is brilliant but unless we genuinely value and want to invest in solutions to house people then it's never going to happen because it's going to cost money it's going to cost money today um people being on the streets people being homeless cost society money in all kinds of ways but it might not cost it us today and um i don't think we've yet got that right uh, and I, I kind of point that as a government thing but i do also mean as a society it, it's, it's particularly fascinating because of what's been happening over the last nine months where home and the place that you um we've all been a lot more than we would have been has become such a much more important part of all of our lives because we've had to stay there with lockdown and yet as a society we still don't do enough to care for people who don't even have that absolutely i think it's a lot about um well from my view people never thinking it's going to happen to them and i think this is you know it seems so far removed and also um, what, what upsets me really, you know, a lot about homelessness is the misconception that it's, it's based about drugs and alcohol. And, and it, even if it is, it doesn't matter. These are human beings who are in a really, you know, dark, horrible times. Um, but whenever I have met any homeless people, a lot of it, you know, they have been, they've lost their jobs or they've been divorced or, you know, they've been kicked out. So it's not, it's not about misconceptions of drug and, and alcohol, but, but what I think is like, so what if it is, you know, because there's a reason why people have been driven to that. And it could start from, exactly. you know, um, being kicked out from home or even people who've been ill, you know, um, having cancer, losing their job, you know, so it's not just about, so I think stigma is for me personally, and, I'm, and I know you, Phil and Murphy will know more about this, this is your field, but the stigma is probably the most damaging part to homelessness rather than the actual homelessness itself. Because yeah, if we have these mechanisms and areas of support, then we wouldn't even be here. Um, and also people feel really embarrassed to go and ask their friends and family to go and stay there. Um, so it's, it is really a shame that, you know, when someone's down and out, that people have such bad opinions and, and wrong opinions, really. Mm. I 
think you, you touched on something about saying, um, you know, it doesn't matter what, whatever the cause might be. And I think that's the, the point that needs to be made. It's no one's right to decide if someone deserves support. It's their, it's their human right. Oh. Um, you know, absolutely. someone doesn't have to be um, you know, the most philanthropic person in the world. It's not our decision to decide if they deserve support. They, they are, have a right to it. Um, and the fact that they can struggle to access it is, you know, a systematic failure. I would agree. Absolutely. I would say housing or even a roof over your head, it should be a human right. I'm not sure if it actually has been written into UK law yet, but um, it should be. So it's almost, it's, it's actually, I would say, against the law to even, um, what is it, for them to be in that in position in the first place. So the authorities should house them, not let them be homeless. Of course, I mean, there may be the kind of unique circumstance where someone wants to be on the street, but then that may be because of um, a whole assort of issues that, again, authorities, charities can help with that person. Um, but again, I have, I'm not the expert on this. I was just... Um, um, Paris, do you want to ask the question about women? Because obviously this is called the, the feminist lens. And I know, um, as Paris touched upon, around the this, this stigma... Um, especially to do with homelessness. I do have friends actually who only would give money as well when they see a homeless person if they are a woman, just by oh. the added kind of vulnerability factor there. Um, but yeah, I wanted to ask, how many homeless women access your services in comparison to men and other groups? So at the, the centre, we um, I, I mentioned sort of pre-COVID, we'd have about a thousand people walking through the doors every Every year and typically about 35% of them would be young women so we don't have although we've got this really broad diverse group of young people coming through our doors we, we tend not to have kind of specialized programs of support we try and do everything um, as one big community together um, now what's been interesting since lockdown and we still don't quite understand why is that the numbers of young women has been growing um, so we we now offer um, some people can come to the centre, but whereas we used to have up to sort of 50 young people in a day, we can only have six young people at a time. So we only get about 20 people a day at the moment um, coming in and out um, because of the limits of social distancing. But with that and the remote support that we're offering, we've seen the number of young women grow to about 50% of those accessing our services. So. We don't, what we don't understand yet is, have young women been hit harder by the impacts of COVID? Are, you know, are they more likely to have lost their job or had family breakdown, domestic violence, etc.? I, I imagine there might be elements of that that is yes. Or is it that by changing the way we run our services, making them uh, available remotely so young women don't have to come into a space with lots of other people, has that made them... Um, more willing feel safer to engage so there is something interesting that we as an organization need to do more to explore in the year ahead that's really interesting phil i think definitely that seems to echo from our membership um in that you know we're reaching people that may have been harder to reach um and how we can sort of grow this as we move forward um in terms of homelessness homeless link we don't run any frontline services but we support organizations who do in terms of um, the feedback that we receive from our membership, we've got our partnership managers that go out and meet with people. We've got communities of practice groups. Um, so it seems to me, in terms of gender differences on love sleeping, for women, much more tend to be hidden homeless 
um, so you might not see as many rough sleepers. Um, also, those that are sleeping rough might portray themselves as male to avoid being attacked. Mm. Right. Um, they might be riding the night shaft the tube um, to avoid being somewhere static. Um, so see people maybe sleeping throughout the days, um, but traveling around at night to avoid being attacked again. Um, we've also seen quite high numbers of people involved in selling sex. Um, as has been, there's been lots of work in the North recently, um, doing some research around this. Um, and a lot in the, everyone in accommodations as well, we've seen it happen. Um, so yeah, it's a completely different experience um, for women and for men. Um, so I want to come on to the point about, um, yes, yes. So um, is this argument or this question really, is homelessness a social issue or public health issue? And I know Matthew mentioned that briefly at the beginning of the call. And I think it's, it's important to explore that. And the reason why I bring this question is um, if you look at Glasgow and the knife crime that was happening, I think in the 80s, the, the Scottish government dealt with it as a public health issue rather than a social issue. So for me, I think homelessness is a complex social problem, um, which is elevated by systemic disadvantage, um, but increasingly so it's being more seen as a public health issue, particularly you know, exacerbated by, by COVID-19. Phil, what would okay. you... Yeah, um, sorry, I, thought I, was, I was engaged in what you were saying, Murphy, and I thought you were going to continue. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'd be inclined to agree. I think it's just, it's, it's multifaceted. It's isn't it? And it's a bit like what I was saying, the everyone in um, agenda that happened earlier in the year. You can't take a single point on this and assume that everything will get better. So you can't just put in housing or you can't just put in uh, better economic circumstances for people. You can't just put in health. Those things are all part of a solution, but you need all of them working in tandem and in a way that's responsive to the individual and their needs. That's the way to do it. Um, so I guess to a degree it's a public health thing in that it, it requires uh, many aspects but it probably is a complex social one as Murphy said. Do we have any compar okay. comparisons that we could draw maybe with um, other countries that are doing it well that we can look towards? Do you know Phil Murphy from um, any of your experiences of either countries or maybe maybe even cities in the UK that are doing it well that have good policies or um, have a good response to homelessness and how to tackle it and help people i think some of the ones in scandinavia I'd, I'd, as i understand it from homeless link actually where i can't remember which country is something like sweden or something where if someone becomes homeless they, they're just given a home right you just like how this is housing first model that murphy's been describing so um they recognise that there's a cost to the state of people being homeless and it actually makes more sense to give them a home um, to, to live in. So there is, a, I think that's where a lot of the housing first um, sort of movement has been looking to countries where this has been happening with success and seeing how it can work in the UK. Obviously the UK is a slightly different setup and has unique ways of doing things it, it becomes particularly challenging in a place like London because of the cost of land and property you can't just buy and give them um give properties out infinitely in a city like London so it does I think um require then people's move outside the city to places and then you end up with sort of issues about whether that's the appropriate way of dealing with it but to know Murphy you you probably know more about this from a 
Well, I was hoping you weren't going to say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> my knowledge on this isn't, isn't strong. I do think, yes, Scandinavian models, examples like Sweden, um, have worked really well. We've also seen um, in different European countries them setting up sort of um, their own communities, people that have um, come out of the criminal justice system, people that come out of drugs and addiction services, um, poor mental health, people looking as a way back into society and this idea that people work together to create their own community um, as contributing members. I think like, like Phil touched on, it's, it's really difficult to replicate things, how things are done here. Um, so I don't think it's easy to take one model and, and put it somewhere else where, where things aren't, aren't as easy to make those changes. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm the best person to ask anything close on this one, I'm afraid. No, that's really interesting. It's just because, um, just for listeners, um, I think um, we'll ask you this at the end, a kind of like call to action or what, what, what we can do like individually. Actually, maybe let's just ask this now. Yeah, what can we do? So myself and Paris, I know Paris already does a lot. I definitely could do more. Um, what can we do around this? Because homelessness could all, we could all be homeless at some point in our lives. We know um, even with like climate induced displacement, we see like refugees, like, but also just in the UK, um, there's so many reasons as to why someone could become homeless and we could all be homeless tomorrow. Who knows? So how do we individually um, kind of raise awareness around that? Um, what solutions and any suggestions you would say um, to anyone listening today that maybe wants to get more involved, um, what can we do, kind of collective individual responsibility around this? Um, from, from my perspective, I think the key thing is, is learning, asking questions. Um, Homeless Link collect a huge amount of resources um, through different research, um, policy acts, sharing opinions. So sharing the research from Homeless Link across the sector, um, encouraging organisations to participate in our, in our training, um, follow best practices, um, also, you know, financial support to homelessness services, as, as Phil mentioned earlier, you know, a huge amount of the services for homelessness are voluntary funded. Um, you know, it's not, they're not getting large grants and the grants often have um, sort of red tape around them, so they can't operate in the way that they would, particularly working with um, those groups that we mentioned earlier who have no recourse to public funds. Um, yeah, Phil, what, would you, what do you think? Yeah, all of that support your like understand what's going on in your area and how you can best build on already established work rather than trying to think that you have to come up with solutions yourself so um you know we're based in camden but we support young people from across london uh, there are lots of homelessness charities right across london in the north and south um even in places like richmond so if you're kind of interested in it as an issue that's normally a good place to start i would say um yeah and i mean it, like people always ask me oh if i see someone asking for money should i give them help and when i would just say you're a human treat people as humans i one of my first jobs in london um was working for a charity called envision and we used to support young people to do social action projects and the group of young people in a school in camden actually did a film around homelessness and and the message from that film and from all the conversations they had with people experiencing homelessness in camden was then more than anything we just want to be treated like a human being for someone to say hi good morning to engage and look at me in the eye to simple things like that that help people feel like they're still um, part of society i think also goes a long way it goes back to your thing about stigma paris of people assuming everyone's going to be 
a drunk drug addict and you know people walk into our center and they're like is it a pi- are these people actually homeless and like yes they're experiencing okay. homelessness how come it's like well they don't look it like well no of course they don't they're just they're just young people aren't they that's all anyone is we're just we're just humans we're just members of society it's just some people have had a bit harder luck or had one or two things go wrong for them mm, yeah Definitely. I think talking to people and acknowledging someone's existence, it's so common that you see if you've spoken to someone and, mm. you know, if someone is um, begging or, or sat um, visibly homeless, the amount of people that walk past you, um, I used to do street fundraising um, years ago yeah. and it is so demoralising, people <laughs> actively avoiding eye contact with you constantly and for mm. that to happen day in and out, you know, just taking the time to say, how are you, have a quick chat those things do really matter. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, Homeless Link have created a um, directory. So if you pop onto our website, you can have a look at different services. So if you pop in your postcode, it will tell you what services are in your area and how that works. Another thing that you could do is write to your local MP and ask them what they're, what they're doing to support homelessness. Um, you know, hold people to account that, are, that should be doing it. Yeah, sorry. Thanks. Wicked, Murphy, that is, that is really, really clear. And thank you, Phil. Um, we have one last question um, just before Paris um, sums up. And obviously, you know, this is called the feminist lens. Um, so we do try and look at issues through a feminist perspective, as we know, um, as me and Paris believe, that when we have gender equality and racial equality, this will um, mean that a lot of issues are actually, a lot of issues, they won't be there anymore. Um, that's when we're of that belief. Um, so... If we could ask a final question, um, which is, if you had a magic wand, how would you change the world through a feminist lens? And obviously linking this back to um, your work in the, in the incredible um, organisations that you work for. Phil, do you want to start off? Sure. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm, um, I said earlier that you know, we have about a thousand people coming through the doors every year and somewhere between say 350 500 them would be young women who've experienced some form of disadvantage or um difficulty in their life and all of them i mean that's a big number all of them are individuals and what's nice with the center is you get to know a lot of the young people as individuals um uh lots of their stories and what's happened to them and in, in the nicest possible way, I kind of wish I'd never met any of them because I wish that the things um, that they'd experienced hadn't happened to them. And I wish that society hadn't made it happen to them. So I guess if you ask me, my magic wand would be um, that places like New Horizon didn't have to exist and that young women, like all the ones I've mentioned, wouldn't have ever had to walk through our door and they would have had an equitable and um, fair existence, basically. Mm. I think yeah echoing that in the sector you tend to you know your aim is always to work yourself out of a job um which can feel a bit strange but I suppose similarly um if I were to be a magic wand I'd want everyone to be able to feel safe um which is heartbreaking that so many so many people in our society and you know across the world safety isn't something that they felt thank you both that's um that's really moving moving actually um and I really hope that uh, our listeners listen to you um, and we will put details of your organisation in the show notes for the podcast. We'll educate and inform themselves for everything that we've discussed and just realising that, you know, which is what you've both been saying, I think, with all your uh, answers is that 
we're all humans and that's it. So irrespective of whether you're on the street or you're in a house or in a mansion, everyone's gone through something. So I think, yeah, recognizing that and, and supporting each other. So we just want to say thank you so much for your time today. It's been really, really helpful for us. And uh, we will promote the work of your organization and try and call people to, you know, to get involved and help and to do whatever, the, whatever kind of services you guys provide. Um, but just before we close completely, okay, my question is if people um, are facing homelessness, what could they do? Um, so from our perspective, going back to Hello? the factory that we have for Homeless Link, so if you are concerned about homelessness or whether it being yourself or someone else, do have a look at the directory to access what services exist in the area. Um, also, for many people, you'll need a referral from your local authority. So it is worth contacting them first. For New Horizon, we have a section called uh, um, Help on our website where you can find out about our services, how to access them and self-refer. Um, it's also got information about some of the partners we work with like DePaul, AKT, Stonewall Housing, um, Shelter, so how you can access their services. So guys, I'm so sorry about, so Paris, I'm so sorry about your connection. <laughs> I'm on the yeah. Kenyan Wi-Fi and it's really not, it's just, oh God. Um, but yeah, so thank you so much. I'm really sorry about the, the bad connection to you all. Hey guys, as Paris said, yeah, we had a few connection issues. I hope that didn't distract from conversation. Um, as you know, Paris is in Nairobi and I'm here in London, which is super cool because we're just recording this um, on Zoom and it still works. So yeah, um, but I really, really hope that you enjoyed the, listening to Phil and Murphy and the incredible work they do around homelessness in the UK, especially with young people. Um, and yes, this episode, we did want to try and focus on women, but generally this is for everyone. And so if you want to get in touch with Phil and Murphy, we left the show notes, um, sorry, the links are in the show notes. So please do get in touch with them. And if you're enjoying these conversations that we're having, please do rate, review and subscribe. And um, Merry Christmas, stay healthy in that. <laughs> Bye. Don't you let them feel your shine. They should know to stay behind. Tony, 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 Tony,